0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Sturkson, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mysouthland.com. Uh, I want to do a quick mini-series this week, next e- weekend, and then Tom will speak on it again in two weeks and finish it off. I want to just talk about parenting for a couple of, of weeks. I almost said a couple of years, no. Um, <laughs> I realize not all of you are parents, but in this church, we have a lot of kids. I think, uh, at least there's a good chance, if, if we're not the top, I think we, we might be the biggest church in all of Canada in terms of our kids' men. But if we're not the biggest, we're two or three, uh, we have way more kids than most churches have, and we have a lot of young families. And you say, well, yeah, but then you could do a parenting course. And it's true, we do parenting courses and stuff. But sometimes, you know, kids are just an absolute... Uh, treasure, that next generation. That's the lifeblood. That's what's coming up next for this church. And sometimes there's certain truths uh, when it comes to parenting that we just need to speak out into the whole family. And I think it's important for all of us to know so we're all on the same page. It's not just telling parents and then the grandparents and everybody else are trying to wonder what these parents are doing. But together we can be on the same page uh, knowing what it is that parents need to be doing and, and all that sort of stuff. And so I uh, don't apologize for that, but it won't be long, obviously. I won't do a 22-parter like with the, uh, with the uh, Sermon on the Mount. But I do want to talk about parenting this weekend and next weekend. And I want to talk about a lot of the fears. And I think a lot of parents uh, nowadays, we deal with a lot of fears. There's a lot of anxiety. Parents are afraid of their, you know, their kids are going to go to hell. Afraid their kids aren't going to turn out. Uh, afraid their kids are going to need all kinds of inner healing when they leave the house. And need a whole bunch of set free retreats because of our parenting. And and we're just, we're afraid of our own inadequacies and all that sort of stuff. So this week and the next week, I want to deal with some of these fears. And I think actually it'll have application to other areas of life too, for those of you who are not parents. But I want to deal with some of those fears. And then next week, I really want to look at what is, I, I think there's a lot of comparing. And I talked about that a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of a message. But I think there's a lot of comparing uh, between families and parents and kids and all this sort of stuff, and I think we compare and, we, we, and we, uh, we measure ourselves by the wrong things. And I think actually parenting in some ways is simpler. It's hard, but it's, it's, it's not always easy, but it's simpler, I think, than we often make it. And we often gauge ourselves by the wrong things, which causes us to feel all kinds of fear and anxiety and condemnation. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about some of these fears together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all the children here in this church. I thank you for my own kids. I thank you for all the marriages and just families that are represented here in this church, family here at Southland, and we love it, and we love our kids, and we love this church, and I just pray that you would speak to us, and Lord, even those of us here today who are not parents, God, I just pray that I, I think that you're going to just speak to us on, a, on even bigger things. All of us have fears and anxieties about certain things, and I pray that you would begin to do a work of deep trust in us in this message and next weekend in this entire year, Lord, that you would grow us in trust. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So don't parent out of fear. I want to, first fear I want to talk about is just the fear of traumatizing and wounding our kids. Uh, how many of you have been on a set-free retreat? Can I just, you know, most of you, okay? And some of you just put your hands up because everybody else did. And that's okay. Um, uh, Stefan leads those and does a great job of it. And he, he shares, at least he used to. I haven't been on one for a while because uh, I'm doing so good. No, just kidding. Um, I probably need another one again uh, soon. But uh, Stefan shares a story on there, or he used to anyway, uh, he would share this story about uh, how when we were younger, and I think it was my parents. I don't know if it was me. I never did anything bad to him. But, um, but uh, he shares a story about how people called him the tank. And as a result of that, uh, later on in life, he needed inner healing because he was afraid of being fat and all this sort of stuff. And a lot of parents, it's a great story. And the, the reason it's a great story is, I mean, God heals us of these lies and these wounds that we pick up. And that's one of the amazing things about the Set Free Retreat we go into this thing, we have all kinds of anxieties and fears and problems and hang-ups, and we realize we've picked up these things along the way, and God wants to speak to us and set us free. Amen? So that's awesome. But I think some parents, they hear stories like that, and they almost pick up a reverse fear, which is, oh no, Stefan got a wound from that? How have I wounded my kids, right? And you start to agonize over everything you've ever said to your kids or ever done. It's like, oh no, I just... And that was, an inter- that was a set free moment right there. I just did something to my kid that they're going to need inner healing from in 10 or 15 years, right? And we run around afraid of traumatizing. We live our lives in fear of traumatizing our kids. It's bigger than even just here in this church. I think it spreads to our entire uh, culture. Parents are just afraid. You know, the moment their kid cries, I got to run to them in the middle of the night because otherwise they're going to feel abandoned and they're going to feel lonely and rejected and they're going to have all kinds of issues because of that. So we jump up. The moment they ask for something, the moment they cry, we're afraid of disciplining. We're afraid of saying no. We're afraid of just, we're just afraid that we're wounding our kids. We're afraid of traumatizing our kids. We're afraid of traumatizing each other. And the ironic thing is in doing this, in acting out of this fear, the very thing we're trying to avoid hurting our kids, we actually end up doing. We're so afraid of wounding them. We're so afraid of traumatizing them that we don't know how to be strong. We don't know how to be consistent. We don't know how to apply consequences. And the very thing we're trying to avoid hurting them, we actually end up uh, doing. And so we need to actually identify what is it that actually wounds people. What is it that actually wounds people, and what doesn't wound people, so that we can so we can discern this thing and walk with wisdom. And the first thing we need to realize is that it is it is it is not discipline or consequences or saying no to children. That causes them to be wounded it's rejection that wounds children okay if a child perceives that mommy or daddy is rejecting them that is a hurt that is a hurt that will wound and fester but a parent who lovingly disciplines their child who lovingly says no to their child who is consistent and is strong with their child that's not a that's not wounding your child it's rejection that wounds a kid I heard a great story uh, this last week awesome story Uh, I was talking to another parent and uh, they were telling me the story one of their kids I uh, was over at a friend's house. We were going to have a sleepover. And uh, those of you who can remember back far enough, some, for some of you that's a long, long way, but those of you who can remember back far enough to when you were a kid, sleepovers, that's like the ultimate, right? That is like... The, the most amazing thing. That's the thing, you know, you look forward to. That's incredible. And so this child is going to be over at the friend's house. We're going to have a, a sleepover, which of course they were looking, really looking forward to. Uh, but mom and dad had some expectations and there have been problems in the past and different things. So uh, there's certain behaviors you're not allowed to do. Da, 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 da. And sure enough, later that night, phone call, this child is exhibiting some of these behaviors. Okay? And I love what this parent did next. They got in the car. And drove over there. Now I know what some other parents would do in that situation, which is get them on the phone and start threatening, right? Like if you don't smarten up right now, what haven't I told you before not to do that? And if you nobody's ever going to want you to come over ever again, and I'm never going to let you have a sleepover again. But actually, the kid knows that you'll never actually have the guts to actually drive over there. And so this parent drives over to where their child is, and on the way, they're talking. the, The the mom and the dad are talking with each other. And they said, depending on the response of this child, if they're, if they admit that what they've done is wrong, if they, if they, whatever, if they apologize, whatever, if the response is good, we'll have mercy. If the response is defensive, not owning up to it, then we're going to just take them home. And so they went, child, asked the child about the behavior, immediately the child is defensive. They said, okay, pack up your stuff, we're going home. Now, how does that feel for the child? How do you think that felt? Extremely painful okay? Extremely painful. That is extremely disappointing to go home from a sleepover, to be brought home. You're there already, but now you've misbehaved, and mom and dad come, and they actually take you home from the sleepover, okay? Many parents today are afraid to inflict that kind of disappointment and hurt on their kids because they're afraid. Because you just look at the poor kid, right? Oh, the head hung over. Oh, no right? I've just wounded this child. The disappointment is so deep, it's going to cut to the heart. No. The child is hurting, there's no question. That's why it's called a consequence. There's pain, there's no question. But there are hurts that wound and there are hurts that strengthen. There are hurts that wound and there are hurts that strengthen. A hurt that comes from a lovingly applied consequence that has been clearly communicated If A happens, then consequence B will happen. It will hurt the child, that's why it's called a consequence, but it will not wound the child. It is a hurt that will strengthen. And the problem is, so consequences don't wound kids. Rejection wounds kids. See, the opposite, the different way to do it, see, so many parents today are afraid of giving consequences because just in our culture, consequences is bad. Making your child cry is bad. Making your child hurt is bad. That wounds them. It's not good for the child if they experience pain. But the problem is, if you don't use consequences to curb behavior, you've got two other choices. Ignore the behavior and just let it go. Some people try that, but most people actually can't carry that out. The second thing is, if you're not going to use consequences, the second thing you use is threats, which I alluded to before, which you'll see everywhere. You want to you just see threats, just go to a mall playground and watch how kids, how parents uh, parent their children. And it's just threats. There's no follow-through. It's just attack the kid. You're so slow. You never listen. Get over here right now. We'll never do this again. You'll be there tomorrow again. But it's threat, threat, threat. So you call up. You call up at the sleepover and you lay into your kid and you threaten, 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 threaten but you won't actually go over there and pick him up because you think that would be the wounding thing but what you don't realize is think about it from the kid's perspective. Mom and dad come and pick them up and take them home. They know that there's a hurt here because of, because of my behavior. It's because of the behavior. Mom and dad disrespect me on the phone and yell at me and threaten me. When they hang up there's a bit of a satisfaction. I don't have to go home from the from the sleepover. But at the same time, there's a hardness and rebellion there because mom and dad don't, mom and dad treat me like an annoyance. Mom and dad don't like me. They're harsh with me. There's a difference between consequences and and rejection and I'll just put up a couple of things there. What is the difference between consequences and rejection? Three things and we could look at lots of things but rejection stems from anger. Rejection attacks the person rather than the behavior. Rejection is reactive rather than proactive. And rejection always hardens a child's heart. And threats, instead of consequence, on the front end, threats look less painful to the child, but in the long run, threats always wound a child's heart. And they twist the child's heart and they make them hard towards you. They make the child feel like mom and dad don't really like me, mom and dad don't respect me. They make the child feel worthless, even at the same time while letting the child get away with whatever they want. Consequences are very different. Consequences are focused on behavior. But look at what the Bible says about rejection, about harsh words. Proverbs 15.1, we could look at tons and tons and tons here. Proverbs 15.1, though, says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When you use threats on your children and anger, you only stir up more anger in them. You try to get your way by threatening, instead of applying a consequence that will hurt, you think, okay, uh, you know, short-term less pain, maybe on a threat, than the the short-term, you know, more intense pain of a consequence. You think you're doing better, but the long-term pain is worse because you stir up anger in your child's heart when you try to manipulate them and get them to do what you want through forcing them with anger. A harsh word stirs up anger. That's just the Bible. The Bible's always going to be right. James 1, 19 to 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I don't know about you, but I want my kids to grow in the righteousness of God. I want them to grow in humility. I want them to grow in love. I want them to grow in joy. I want them to grow in peace. And James 1 says that the anger of man cannot produce those things. It cannot produce those things. So when I use anger to try and get my way with my kids and threats and just, you oh, know, you better do this because I'm mad, but I don't apply consequences. I just try to get them to do it because I threaten them and I'm mad at them. That behavior cannot, will not produce the righteousness of God in my kids. It'll produce the opposite. It'll produce hardness, rebellion, Rejection, all kinds of problems that later on they will need inner healing for. And a bad picture of God. But I want to contrast that with you of what the Bible says about consequences and discipline. So that's what the Bible, and I could show you much more what the Bible says about harsh words and anger. I want to contrast that for you though with what the Bible says about discipline because our culture is so afraid of discipline, that discipline hurts kids, that making a child cry because you took something away or a privilege or whatever, some kind of discipline, that that kind of, Pain hurts children. The Bible says opposite. Hebrews 12, verse 11, I love this verse. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Otherwise, it wouldn't be discipline. Let me just highlight that. I, sometimes I hear parents, oh, I do, I do this to discipline my kid, and it's just not working. And then they tell me what it is, and I go, of course it doesn't work. It doesn't hurt. Some of you are madly writing that down. Yeah. If it's not painful, it's not discipline. You, you send a kid to their room who likes to be alone and read, you're not disciplining them, you're encouraging them. You're just encouraging them, right? I mean, you, what all discipline, right? For the moment, all discipline seems painful. It has to be, rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What a promise. Now, okay, quick stop here. Caveat. This verse is primarily speaking about God's discipline of us. Which there's a whole amazing, Hebrews 12, it's an amazing passage when you're going through some hard times to know what God is producing in you and why he's doing it and he's loving and doing it. But the whole point, the whole logic of the passage is based on paralleling God's discipline of us with what a father's discipline of their child is supposed to be. So it applies to human discipline as well. All discipline is supposed to be painful but if you apply loving discipline to your children... The fruit is exactly the opposite of when you use anger, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's a promise from Scripture to those who have been trained by it. But parents, so many parents are afraid of making their children cry. So many parents are afraid of saying no to their kids. So many uh, parents are afraid of enforcing consequences. And I know in a moment, I know what it's like. I know what it's like that you just love your kids so much and they're so cute and sometimes it's just like, oh, I don't want to make you cry right now. And you feel bad. And so, oh, you know, I'll let this go. And you let it go. And 20 minutes later, you really wish you hadn't let it go. Because they get less cute the more you let it go. <laughs> they just get less and less cute. I'm on number four now. And they get less and less cute the more you let it go. Proverbs 6, But I can show you tons of verses. Tons. Let me just show you one more. And I had a bunch more in there. But some of them spoke about the rod, and I didn't want to get in trouble here, so I'll just leave them for now. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Do you want your kids to have life, or no? We live in fear of consequences and pain, and our kids hurting in the short term. We live in fear, but the Bible says again and again and again that discipline is the way of life. Discipline lovingly applied without any trace of anger, consistently well communicated in a reasonable method, obviously. Some of you have a wrong picture of discipline. Part of why our culture has swung the way it has is because in past generations, people took the discipline to places it shouldn't have gone that it wasn't discipline anymore, it was abuse. I'm not talking about abuse here. I hear horror stories still from, from, from guys my age, uh, and so late 30s and stuff, of, of, of you know, dads who would whip them with cords and all kinds of stuff. Just gross stuff. Okay, yuck. That is not what we're talking about at all here. And that is not what the Bible is talking about here. We're talking about discipline as another way of loving your kid. You know, when I apply consequences to our kids, where they're taking something away that they had really wanted or, or you know, even like that sleepover story I shared and, and they don't get to, you know, stuff like that where it's painful, you have to get all the anger out of there and realize that discipline is another opportunity for you to love your kids. And so, whenever we have consequences with our kids, I try all the time to make eye contact with them and speak into their lives how good kids they are and what this is all about this is just this is not daddy's mad at you or you're a bad kid this is here remember we we've just talked about this if a b and c are happening then d is what's happening as a consequence that was your choice but i just want to tell you you know charlie or jordan whoever's you know in, in trouble at that moment it's i just want to tell you you are such a good boy you are such a good girl And I I just love how you're growing in different things, but it's a chance to speak life into them. It's a chance to love them. It's a chance to hug them and connect with them, but still apply a consequence. And when it's done that way, discipline is the way of life. And by the way, everyone around you will like you better too. Nobody likes to be around people with bratty kids. Have you ever noticed that? Some of you are going, that's why I'm sitting all alone here. the way of life. Now again, I want to add this caveat so I don't get in trouble. If you are a person who grew up in a harsh or abusive home or you've never enforced appropriate discipline with your kids yet in your home, before you start making any changes, sit down with some trusted people here in the church and work out a plan, okay? So if you've never seen discipline properly modeled, sit down and talk with someone first. That would be a good idea. I want to talk about something else here though. So rejection wounds children consequences do not wound children. You can go to bed at night and maybe your kid is in bed a little bit sad because of a consequence or very sad because of a consequence, but you can rest assured that you're not wounding them so long as you did it in a reasonable and loving manner. But there's another thing that doesn't wound kids and that is boundaries. Boundaries don't wound children either. This is not just a discipline issue. Parents are not just afraid to give consequences to their children in our culture anymore, but on another level, many parents are afraid just to say no to their kids, period. And you see it in all kinds of different ways. Uh, Junior is lonely. Hey, just come sleep in our bed. How's that working for the marriage? Okay. Uh, Junior wants the red sippy, not the blue sippy. Oh, sorry, honey. Quickly change it. Junior's thirsty at the zoo. You know, he, he can't wait until you get to a water fountain. You've got to run across the zoo immediately and get him whatever he needs. There's just no boundaries. And you know, if you don't have boundaries with your kids, you know what you're raising them to be? Bad people. You should apologize to their spouse in the future for how bad a spouse they're going to be. Because you're training them that everybody around them is simply an extension of their will and desire. Every time Junior says jump and you are how high, let me get that for you. Immediately, all they're learning, they're not even, it's not even their fault. You are teaching them that all the people that matter to them are there to serve their needs and when they get older, that's gross. That's yuck. Those are bad people to hire. Those are bad people to be married to and you're spoiling them to be that. But a lot of us are just afraid. A lot of parents, again, because we love our kids and they're so cute, and it starts small, and we just don't want to have boundaries. We don't want to say no. We just want to run to them all the time. Bible has many stories like this. I, I'll go to King David. I, I, we preached a message series on parenting about three years ago, and I used this story. I'll just go back there. There's other ones that I could use as well. But First Kings one, uh, King David was an amazing man. He was an amazing worshiper. He was a man after God's own heart. He did many, you know, he wrote psalms and he, and, and he was a man's man. He killed giants and bears and lions. I mean, he would just, none of us would be able to tell stories in his presence. He would outdo us all. He was amazing at everything except parenting. He was a bad, bad parent. And one of his kids, I mean, we could just go through the list of how his kids were all messed up by the time he was done with them. But one of his kids, Adonijah, grew up and rebelled against David and wanted to take over the kingdom and almost started a civil war. Another one of his kids did start a civil war, but we won't talk about that one. That's Absalom. But Adonijah almost started a civil war and got a few people killed and almost got more people killed. But the Bible, it's very interesting. First Kings chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible has this interesting comment and tells us why Adonijah was such a bad man. Okay? And I'll just show it to you. Here it is: First Kings 1, five to 5-6. Now, now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, That's one of David's wives, and that's part of the reason he had so many problems. (laughs) Exalted himself saying, I mean, he was bad. He was so good in some ways, but in heaven, I can hardly wait to talk to him. He'll point out some things maybe on me, but I don't think I was this bad. Like, wow. (laughs) Exalted himself saying, I will be king and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father, that's David. Now look at, now the Bible just inserts this one line. I just love the way the Bible operates because this really, what does this have to do with anything? What has everything to do with it? Because now we're getting an explanation why Adonijah would behave like this when he's old. His father, David, had never at any time displeased him. Whoa! He never said no to him. His father David had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done this? And so he never questioned him. He never said no. He never put up a boundary. And in addition to that, he was also a very handsome man. So those two things together just really warped his soul. And he was born next after Absalom, right? So David just never said no to him, okay? Did you know something? You're, it is actually healthy for your kids to hear no. In fact, your kids need to hear no many, 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 many times before they grow up and leave the house. They just need to hear no. And the thing is, it doesn't start out with rebellions against kingdoms and civil wars. That's why we miss this. A lot of us as parents, we miss this because it starts with small things. It starts with sippy cups and bedtimes and, and getting up in the middle of the night. It starts with little things and we don't think, well, they're just so cute. They just need this. I don't want to wound their little soul. But you don't realize that when, at one moment it's sippy cups later on, the issues get bigger and then they're playing for keeps. It's not cute anymore. But if you don't learn them in the small things, then they're going to grow up and they're going to be messed up in the big things. So you don't have to worry about saying no, that it's going to wound them. So again, as long as you say it in, in a loving way. You know, I was thinking about Eden recently. Eden tests boundaries and uh, she is so cute and pretty. That's our number three and uh, just a, a, a wonderful little girl. And, uh, but she just has a knack for, you know, me and the Don, getting everything together, getting Boaz in his high chair, the older kids there, and setting the table and supper, and then you just sit down, you're kind of exhausted. Oh, finally get to eat. And she's already drank a glass of water. Can I have a glass of water? And it's right there, a lot of parents want to revert to threats and exasperation, okay? Exasperation is also rejection, by the way. It's right here, a lot of parents go, Oh! (laughs) Why can't you just wait? You're always thirsty. (laughs) Come on, I just sat down. (laughs) I've never felt, I've never, yeah, okay, I've felt that a few times. (laughs) Oh, you're so exhausting. It's exasperation. Exasperation communicates to a child, I'm not important, I'm a pain in the neck to mom and dad. And then mom and dad get them what they want anyway. Parents, you can be set free. You don't have to jump to the pump just because they're thirsty. (laughs) That was so freeing for me. I I just remember the supper time sitting there one time, and I I was just about to get up and go, and then I, I don't have to get up. You already drank your your glass of water, you little goose. Now you finish your food and I'll get you a glass of water after that. Do you know what? There's actually nothing wrong with that. You know what? Daddy's done now. I'm tired. I'm going to sit here and eat my food. You can sit there and eat your food. And later on when I'm ready, we'll get you a glass of water. Did you know that's actually good for your kids? Now some of you are going, off. Oh. What's the big deal? Glass of water. Like, would it really screw them up to just jump up and get a glass of water? No, it wouldn't. And if you want to just jump up and do it, it's fine. But again, remember, you repeat these interactions with your kids dozens of times every day, day after day, and you are warping their soul. If, if they just get it into their heads that every time I need something, mom and dad immediately jump. And I never have to wait and I never hear a no. One of the things when we were, when we were first having kids is I, I talked to parents of, you know, who had raised kids already, who had had, you know, bigger families, who had done a good job. And by good job, I just mean they'd had, you know, relatively happy uh, homes and their kids grew up to be, you know, relatively happy, productive, healthy people, including my own parents. I talked to them. I talked to other parents. But I just asked for advice. By the way, a lot of you, you could use that. I could use it. Everybody can use it. Talk to people who know. Take them out for coffee. Phone them up. Talk about parenting with other people who, are, who you feel are good at parenting and they're doing a decent job. That's, that's actually awesome. But one of the things that I picked up, I had a few of these conversations, one of the questions I had was, um, was uh, uh, what do you do, you know, what did you do with your kids always getting up in the night? And I caught the same answer back a couple of times from some good parents. And they said, we didn't get up with our kids in the night. Oh, mark that down, okay? Now, of course, first couple of months, okay, now some of you are going, Hey, we just came home from the hospital yesterday. I'm not no, whoa. I got to cover my butt here so I don't get sued, all right? Um, You know, the first couple of months, whatever. I'm not telling you what to do or when to do. You know, consult your doctor first, all that stuff. Um, First couple of months, you got to feed him throughout the night and da-da-da. At a certain point, okay, after a few months, whatever it was for us, and you got to figure out what's good for you guys, okay? But at a certain point, we just said, okay. What we're going to do now is, because we just know, other parents have done this too, but at a certain point, I'm a bad parent if I'm up every night. Now, how am I going to wound him more? By leaving him alone at night, or by raging on him during the day, because I haven't slept in three months. (laughs) What happens if I let my kid cry during the night? What happens if you yell at your kid during the day? Which one is worse, okay? So, we said, okay, you make sure they're fed and watered. Change your diaper. I've had four. It's so really not that hard. They're fed and watered. They're warm. They're secure. Nothing can fall on them. Nothing can bite them or jump on them. You're safe. I'll see you tomorrow morning. You shut the door. Now, do they cry the first couple of nights? Yes, they do. In Charlie's case, for two weeks. Okay? Oh, you guys are so mean. Oh, I was so blessed. And you know what the amazing thing is? He learned to sleep through the night, which he wouldn't have done if we would have just kept getting up with them. Right? It's boundaries. You say, but in the night, you're lying there, and you're like, he's going to feel rejected. He's going to feel alone. Well, yeah, you've got to cuddle him lots during the day. But at a certain point, you know what? It actually makes them stronger too, because they learn to soothe themselves, and now they learn to sleep through the night, rather than going for four or five years, and they don't know how to sleep through the night. It's better for them. It's better for you. Actually, boundaries are just good all around. Now you say, oh, you're hardcore. So you would just never get up with your kids in the night. Well, no, it doesn't work that quite that easy. At a certain point, they know how to get out of their beds, right? <laughs> Recently, I had Charlie, and then it's a whole other bag of worms. I'm not saying this isn't a one-size-fits-all. Please have a little wisdom when you listen to these stories, okay? Um, Charlie came up a, little, uh, a couple weeks ago, he, he middle of the night. So, you, middle of the night, all of a sudden, you just feel a kid staring at you. Have you ever had that? <laughs> and you just know, they don't even touch you, and you wake up, it's like, oh! What are you doing there? You look at the clock, it's two in the morning. Oh, my. By the way, that's another thing. Practice makes perfect. I used to get mad at the kids when they would come to my, to my bed in the middle of the night. They'd be sick or whatever. I'd be like, oh, go to bed. And, but actually, the Lord convicted me of that. I'm, I'm telling the honest truth here. Practice makes perfect, and kids make you a better person over time. And, uh, and I actually told the Lord, I confess the Lord, I'm showing them rejection, because every time they come up, they need something. I'm mad. I can't be mad. So the Lord said, I'll give you lots of practice. And over many, many, many times of practicing... <laughs> I get up now, it's like, it's like, oh, oh, hi, hi, so glad to see you. <laughs> love you, son. And he's like, there's a ghost noise in the basement. <laughs> okay. Roll out of bed, grab his hand, okay, son, let's go see this. Now, this is a perfect opportunity, by the way, to show love as well. If you listen to their little fears, if you honour them in their little fears and their little hurts and little hang-ups, they feel your love. So I grabbed his hand and I said, okay, buddy, let's go down together and, and, and find it. So we go downstairs. Well, as soon as we get downstairs, I know what it is. It's a water softener. And our, oh, our water softener sounds like a cat being strangled. Not that I really know what that <laughs> sounds like, but it's horrible. And uh, I take him into the laundry room. I said, see, bud, it's the water softener. And I kind of explain some of how it works, even though I don't really know, but it does something to the water. And, <laughs> and he gets a big smile. He's like, oh, thanks, Dad. He gives me a big hug. Off he goes to bed. You say, okay, well, what is it? Do you let the kids sleep through the night or do you help them? Well, it's, it's, this is where, this is the way, you got to walk that line, rejection and what is boundaries and what is rejection. If one of my kids comes up sick or afraid or hurting in some way, I'll always get up with them once. And if Charlie would have come up the second night, I would have gone down with him again. I would have showed him. But after the second night, I would have said, okay, this noise equals water softener. From now on, you can go check it yourself. Okay? <laughs> because I don't want to become his crutch. See, that's where the boundary comes in. I'll always listen to a fear. I won't show anger. I mean, that's at least my goal. I'll sometimes mess up. But I want to listen to a fear. I want to meet him in a fear. I want to hug him and show him I love him. But I can't be his crutch forever. Once I've showed you, now I've got to give you a strategy for getting out of it. We've done the same thing. My daughter Joy sometimes has trouble sleeping. And at one point when she was first having these struggles, I didn't know what to do and I, was, I wanted to just show her love. So every night I got up with her like three nights in a row, she'd come up, oh, I can't sleep. I'd hold her, I'd pray for her. I was getting exhausted. And I had done the right thing the first couple of nights, but after the third time, little my wife told her, told me, and she said, uh, you're not helping her anymore. Now you need to give her some strategies. And I was like, oh yeah, you're totally right. I got to meet. The first time, I got to meet her. The first couple of times, I got to meet her. I got to love her. I got to walk with her. After that, my goal is not to be her crutch forever. That she can only get through the night if she has daddy up. Okay? That's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for her. So you start to work through some strategies. Now you're on your own. Now, honey, now when you have this problem, I've given you some tools. You know that daddy loves you. I haven't rejected you. Nothing like that. Now you can do it on your own. That's boundaries. Does that make sense? Boundaries don't hurt kids. Okay? Boundaries are good for kids. All right? Strengthen them. All right. Last I'm gonna do today, and there's lots of other fears that parents have, but fear of hurting our kids because of our own imperfections and inadequacies. And this is another big fear I think that a lot of us parents have. We just we love our kids so much. And we want them to turn out for Jesus, and we want them to go to heaven. And then we just look at our own inadequacies and we just feel like, and we look at what other parents are doing and what their kids are doing, and we look at our kids and we just feel so inadequate. We feel like my kids aren't doing that yet, and their kids are doing that, my kids aren't doing that, and their kids act like that, and my kids don't act like that yet. And it's all this comparing and fear. And then and we look at our own sin issues and we go, oh, I'm so worldly, I'm so this, I'm so that, I'm so, I lost my temper again, I'm so impatient. And, and, we, and we fear that we're hurting our kids because we don't have that perfect family. We have this picture of a perfect family that has their devos together every night and prays together and they're always happy and they never fight. And of course, we can never live up to that standard and none of our families ever make it to that standard and so we just, we feel like we're hurting our kids. We feel like they're behind, like we're not doing enough. But what we don't realize is this is a profoundly human perspective. It's not God's perspective. Okay? And this is what I want to say to you parents. God is not afraid. And actually, this applies to everything, not just parenting. This applies right across the board. So you're here today and you're not a parent. It's okay. But God is not afraid of your imperfections. Did you know that? He's not afraid of your imperfections. He knows all about your imperfections. In fact, it is his glory and joy and happiness to work in the midst of your imperfections. That's what he loves. And so he gave you kids knowing that you're not perfect and he's totally cool with that. Perfection is not supposed to be the goal. In fact, perfection is not possible. In fact, perfection is not necessary. In fact, perfection is, can be harmful. Did you know that? Perfection is not supposed to be the goal. This again isn't just for family. This is for your life. Perfection is not supposed to be the goal. The goal is walking with Jesus and to be filled with his love. Perfection is not necessary. You can raise great kids without being perfect. It's impossible to be perfect. In fact, perfection can be harmful to your kids. Let me tell you how perfect, you say, how can perfection be harmful to my kids? You want to know how perfection can be harmful to your kids? If all they see is you being perfect, they won't ever be able to identify with you because they can't be Perfect. And they will grow up and be discouraged and they won't be, have hope and they won't ever try to be like you because they just think you're perfect. I read a story once. It was one of Billy Graham's uh, kids. I forget which one, but they talked about how, uh, Billy Graham, awesome man of God. Love that guy. Just awesome man of God. But one of the things that uh, Billy Graham and his wife Ruth did when they were, when when the kids were growing up is they would hide their fights from the kids because they thought it would be harmful to the kids if they ever saw mom and dad fight. And obviously there's some truth there. You know, if you're just yelling at each other and calling each other names, that's really not healthy for the kids, okay? But but on the other end of the spectrum, Billy and Ruth Graham hid all their fighting from the kids because they they just didn't want their kids to know that they ever fought. And as a result, later the kids grew up and struggled in their marriages. As one child wrote that they struggled in their marriages because they didn't know how to cope with a fight and they were discouraged all the time because they thought uh, truly godly people would never fight and all of that because they thought their parents were perfect. There's just something so wonderful when you realize mom and dad weren't perfect. But this is how they dealt with things. Oh, I have hope then. Like there's just something. It's not helpful for you if you think I'm perfect, is it? If I preach to you from a place of you think I'm perfect, you know what, I'll never help you one little bit. But when you know that Chris is just a regular guy who has all kinds of problems and anxieties and worries and hang-ups, and then I preach and we're trying to work this thing out together, and we're walking together, that helps you. It's the same with your kids in your home. And so it's okay for them to see that you're imperfect. What you need to, it's not perfection, it's not the goal. You should not be striving to be perfect in front of your kids. What you should be striving for is to create an environment of love and grace. Oh, that's what gives life to kids. The soil of perfection is a soil that will turn them into performance-oriented, anxious people. But the soil of grace and love, where mom and dad, yeah, they lose their temper sometimes. Sometimes they even fight. Sometimes they argue. Sometimes they mess up with us. But one thing mom and dad always do is they'll always come and make it right. That's one thing I remember from growing up. I remember that, you know, the, that if, you know, when dad messed up, oh, Pastor Ray messed up. It's like, ooh, I'm out of the church. No. Once, I think, or twice, whatever. Um, but when he messed up, I remember he would apologize to us. That just felt so good as a kid. Something I've done with our kids is I have this uh, hot sauce in our fridge. And, uh, and, and so sometimes when I'll mess up with the kids, if I'll just be overly harsh or I'll blame them for something they didn't do or just get mad or raise my voice or something with, and just treat things in a, in a way that's not good, I'll go back and I'll make it right. I'll bring out the hot sauce and I'll say, you know, daddy needs consequences too, right? And the kids, you know, the first, they just love this. <laughs> and uh, their eyes get all big and I'm like, Charlie, Eden, whoever it is. Uh, you know, what daddy did, that wasn't right, was it? I I apologize. Now, can you just tell me how much hot sauce is enough? And then I just keep pouring on my finger until they say, you know, stop, and then like this on my tongue, just to teach me, you know, to, as a consequence for myself, and that just, you know, their hearts, oh, they're pumped the rest of the day. (laughs) Dad, was it hot? How hot is it? Oh, burning, burning, burning. Um, (laughs) But it's not that Dad is perfect. Dad admits when he's wrong. See, what you want to create is a soil of grace where Mom and Dad mess up, and you guys are allowed to mess up. There's consequences when they're, you know for disobedience, things like that, but people are allowed to mess up. And this is how we make things right. It's a soil of grace, and it's not against you, and we don't insult you and push, you know, and put you down and get exasperated and reject you, but there's a soil of grace that we're all messed up people together, including mom and dad. And did you know that you can talk to your kids about your weaknesses? You can admit to your kids. Now, again, appropriately. Age appropriately and and various things, right? Appropriately. But you can appropriately be open and vulnerable with your kids. Yeah, did you know daddy has worries like that too sometimes. And daddy gets mad at that too sometimes. You can talk to your kids about the things that you struggle with and create a soil of grace in your home. Oh, if you create a soil of grace, that's the thing that will get them coming back to Jesus later on in life. So put away your ideas and ideals of this is what the perfect family looks like and I'm trying to get that and you'll never get there and it wouldn't even be good if you did. Instead, make it your goal to create an environment of grace and openness about your own hang-ups and hurts and weaknesses. You know, I, I wish, I'll, I'll finish with this. I wish you guys could come back and see, a lot of you, I mean, you look at our family now and, and dad obviously here, Pastor Ray and, and Stefan and I on staff and And Julie and Kim, the four of us, all of us involved in the church and we love it. And I think sometimes you guys must think, you know, growing up, wow, such a spiritual family and you're all at the church now and you all love each other. And so, you know, growing up, it must have just been like family devos every night and praying and it's super spiritual and you just have this picture and then that's how you turned out that you all love God now. And it's, you know what, it's just not actually true. Yes, I grew up in a happy home where mom and dad loved us, not not even a question. I mean, that's why I've had four kids of my own. You don't do that unless you had fun growing up, okay? But if you want to talk about family devos every single night and praying all the time and all we talked about was spiritual stuff and it was just happy, 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 it's not not true. That picture won't even help you. I mean, in high school, dad had to go on the truck for, he's talked about many times before, I think it was like three years. He was actually to pay the bills. By the way, there's a whole other lesson there for you dads. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do because it's actually, it's your job to take care of the family. So he went. Hey, is that fun to be gone from your family all the time? No. Is it ideal? No. But you gotta feed them. So he's on the truck. He was gone a lot. That was long distance trucking. He was gone a lot. And it was right during that time, you know, uh, two of my siblings completely rebelled against God, completely rebelled against our parents, completely rebelled at school, just went right off the rockers. We were not having family devos every night, not even close. If, maybe I was the spiritual one in high school. I never, I never left God. I always wanted to follow God. But you know, uh, I didn't have my devotions every day when I was in high school. Not even close. I rarely had them. I don't say that to glory in it. I wish, I, I wish, we'd had a, I wish I'd wish had a youth group like what we have here at Selva now. Back then, I would have just loved it. But I didn't know that. I was more concerned just with having fun and hiding insecurities that, that I had that I didn't want to have. And just just living a normal life, just trying to watch movies and play games with my friends and have friends. That's that's just what I lived. I wasn't all on fire for God and our family, we didn't look. But the thing is, the thing you have to realize is, but now you look at it years later. Here's the thing. We weren't the finished product back then yet. See, that's the thing. Some of you are trying to get the finished product now. It's not finished product now yet because you're not dead. So if you would go back 20 years and look at our family, it was, I mean, we had a happy, one th- I'll tell you two things that we had, even in those years. We always knew mom and dad loved us. That for sure we all knew all the time. And Stefan has shared recently at family and stuff, just some amazing stuff. But, um, but even during his time when he was rebelling, dad would still make an effort to tell him he was proud of him and he would just find stuff to be proud of. See that, that, now that speaks something. It's not a perfect family, but there's love and grace there. Dad would find stuff to be proud of and say, I'm proud of you for this. And my sister has shared some of the same stuff too, that mom and dad during those, those years when she was rebelling, you know, that they would find stuff, they would, that they would still tell her she was beautiful and they would, they would build her up. And in the midst of all the stuff she was doing, they would still find things that they were not rejecting her and they would show that love to her. And the other thing, so they always, we always knew that they loved us. That we always, always had. And the other thing is mom and dad devoted themselves to God. They couldn't make us follow God, and they didn't try to impose all kinds of restrictive, like, every day we do this, and every day we do this. They they didn't do that, but they devoted themselves to God and called out to God for us. So if you went back 20 years ago, what you would see, well, you would see a family that was loved, but you would not see a perfect family, not even close, but you would see parents who were devoted to God and praying to Him, and now you go 20 years later, and what you see is a God thing it's a God thing. God did the work. As parents, it's still that. We actually still need God to do the work. There isn't a five-step process. Do this, 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 this. Your kids will turn out godly. If there was such a thing, I'm sure God would have put it in here. Have you noticed there's not a lot in here about parenting? Have you noticed that? Except discipline them and love them. Love them. Love them. Create a soil of grace and love and then you better seek God yourself and pray. And then it's a God thing and he does the work and it's not perfect ever, close to perfect and lots of problems and you mess up but you, you apologize and you create an environment of grace and you keep doing that and then you call out to God and you see how far you fall short and it's all okay because you're nowhere near perfect but 20 years down the road, you see, and you can say and you can praise God, it's a God thing. He's taken things from where they were, and he continues to do a work today. You know the incredible thing? There's a promise, it's a famous promise. I love this promise more and more. Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You know what I love about all things? And the Lord just spoke to me about this a few months ago for the first time, and I just I've been meditating on it and holding on to it ever since. Did you know all things even includes your mistakes and your imperfections? All things means all things. You can look up the meaning of the Greek. It just means everything. So that means even your mistakes and your imperfections and your weaknesses and the fact that you sometimes get tired or that you can't be home as much as you want and all those things, but you're just doing your best and you're calling out to him. If you're pursuing him in some weak way and you just, you want him and you need his help, He says he turns all things. He turns even your mistakes. He turns even your imperfections. He turns all things for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is a powerful, powerful promise. So, here's a weekly challenge for you. And again, you don't have to be a parent to do all of these. Number one is ask the Lord to reveal you if you've been relating to your children out of anger. You know, I used to, I used to pray, Lord Jesus, oh, make, get, you know, take this character trait away from me so that I can parent my kids better. And then he showed me, it's through parenting your kids that I'm going to work on it. See, that's the glorious part of the mess. He takes imperfect parents and he gives them imperfect kids, he puts them together, and in all the, he works on them. So you say, God, take away my impatience before I hurt my kids. And he says, I'm going to work on your impatience through your kids. Because if they were perfect all the time and just said yes and were cheerful and happy and obedient, they would never expose the fact that you're impatient. So he lets them be imperfect and he lets you be imperfect and through practicing together day after day, he works on you to make you less impatient and less angry and more loving and more gracious. That's how he does it. So ask the Lord to reveal to you if you've been relating to your children out of anger. Confess anger if you have it. Apologize to your children. If you have, you know, recently exploded in anger, apologize to them. And then get an accountability partner and prayerfully begin working on rooting out all anger out of your interactions. And then just, it's practice. You get to practice this week not being angry. And then you confess and you make things right and you get an accountability partner and you know if you work at it by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you can actually through practice become less angry. It's actually wonderful. Number two, ask the Lord about boundaries and discipline in your home. Do you have clear expectations of your children and do they know them? Because if they don't know them, then you don't have clear expectations. Are there areas where you are being too lenient? Are there areas where you are being too harsh? Number three, ask the Lord to encourage you What is something he sees you doing well in as a parent? What is something that he is turning for good in your home? You need encouragement, not just conviction. We need encouragement. I'm going to pray for you, but don't forget that right after the message, if you need prayer for something, you are struggling with anger or you are struggling with something in your home or anything. We always have after-service prayer and it's powerful. You can go and get someone to pray for you and with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for kids. We thank you for giving us a church full of kids. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who are godly. Use our kids to help us become more godly. And then as you use our kids to help us become more godly, I pray that you would do a work in them and they would become more godly too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.